Check. Sound check is good. Okay. Good morning, everyone. My name is Peter, for the benefit of the people that will watch the video later on. I will today recap a little bit of what has been said in the past uh, few days. Because it is important, this is the last stage where we put everything together of this particular section. And the topics that will be treated, or that were treated in the past few days, were of course um, arbitrage. Arbitrage in the larger sense, that is, not in the narrow sense of exclusively a trading floor. Arbitrage should be interpreted in a much wider sense, and it is in fact the driving force of a dynamic um, market process. Arbitrage is present in every market, not only financial markets. It is present in commodity markets, it is present in asset markets, perhaps with one obvious limit which would be the real bills market but basically the professor's description of arbitrage in the um, consumer good markets is not limited to consumer goods it is not limited to financial market is it, it is a dynamic process that you will find in any market at least I've thought so and I've tried to find an example where it would not work I could not come up with any now arbitrage is in fact a market strategy that has three components we've seen this in the past few days um, it has uh, a component of horizontal um, arbitrage. Basically, that's where you choose to opt out or you choose an alternative. There is the component of vertical arbitrage, whereby the supplier of a good or a commodity or a service would divide his offer uh, in, into a few parts he would and I'm thinking here of a specific example maybe well let's take a specific example the iPad or the iPhone comes in a few versions there's an example of a vertical arbitrage of the supplier. He will offer you a choice. This is what marketing people do all the time. You can get the 16 megabyte, the 32 megabyte and the super deluxe whatever 
you know, the three versions. The third form and the third component um, of arbitrage would be the bid ask arbitrage. Without that last form of arbitrage, it would not be complete. You don't have to think of um, ask bid arbitrageurs as people on the financial market and people on the New York Stock Exchange pit or the floor, you know, shouting left, right, and center. It can be much simpler as that. In fact, the bid ask arbitrageur may be your ordinary shopkeeper. We'll, um, we'll we'll see that later on. Um, I think it's 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 a very ordinary, perfect example of a normal um, arbitrageur. We use the language of the trader because it's it's apt and it's very visible. It may not be visible with the shopkeeper, but it's still the same process. Before we get there. I still have to say something about straddles. We've seen straddles, which is again the language of the um, of the trader. The straddle is an instrument, and he sets up a spread. Now, a spread is a setup in order to expect some some benefit, either benefit could also be damage control to set up a spread to narrow losses. Sorry, he starts on the straddle. The spread is the result. The difference. Yes. Let's <coughs> make that distinction clear and keep it. Okay. Excuse me. Yes. The straddle is um, the setup. Uh, the spread would be the result of the expected result of uh, the straddle. Now this whole dynamic process of people uh, doing this arbitrage, arbitrage is a big word of course, but they, they, they do lots of things and um, we've seen that the formation of the asked price is a dynamic process. Sandeep has, has treated that yesterday, the well the same goes for the bid price. It's, it's also a dynamic process. <coughs> What we will also see and, and touch on today is, is closing the spread, which is obviously the topic uh, of today. And then an important conclusion that belongs um, to this topic, that is that the consumer is in charge. The consumer's sovereignty stands out, which you cannot say about the producer. It's not reverse, and I'll show um, in the sequel why that is. Um, perhaps important is to um, have another look again at the formal theorems that uh, Professor Fekete has formulated. They are important. He has devoted quite some time to that. And um, he told me yesterday that uh, these theorems he formulated were 
at least 15 years old and possibly even uh, older and even at that stage in the 1990s there would have been groundbreaking I would say because nobody else has thought that far um, just to refresh your mind the formation of the Earth Prize if you can if you cannot see um, the colors on, on the projection it would be visible here on the board you've seen this graph a few times here now Tandip has said yesterday that he encountered some, some counterintuitive um, objections and you may think well you know I'm the producer I, I asked what I want for this this is the counterintuitive part but in fact we have seen that the formation of the past prize is in fact the outcome of competition of the consumer because the asked price of a good or a service if I allow that little extension you know to other markets not only the consumer good market there are a bit of differences left right and center but the process is the same that ask price A marks the point where the opportunity cost of buying an additional unit of, of that particular good becomes critical to that marginal consumer and now he's of course the first one to refuse to buy at that particular price or to buy the optic in, in traders uh, language and he prefers to buy uh, the alternative which is just simple horizontal arbitrage now we quickly recap this theoretical explanation with a simple example take the iPhone again Why is the iPhone price, the ask price, determined by the consumer? Imagine, as is not so difficult, a long queue in front of the store where they sell iPhones. Do you think that the shopkeeper is actually saying wow I've got a lot of customers I'll drop the price I don't think so there is of course another aspect to this um, and I don't know we have a few marketing people um, here the marginal consumer may for a specific price have a good look at the store and he says, well, I've got to spend whatever I can just as well buy the Blackberry there's no queue there or his motivation may be different you know, does he dislikes Apple whatever his motivation, he, he is the marginal consumer and he chooses the alternative the Google, what's the alternative for the iPhone? Android. Android sounds funny for a telephone to be called an Android, but whatever. <laughs> or the Blackberry, or whatever it is, but I mean, he's got that choice at that price. 
and um, marketeers are active in, in, in that field. It's an everyday example um, because they try to influence you on, uh, in making a choice. This is where the advertising people come in. You all have uh, maybe good examples of um, you know, the, I the iPhone ads, but I have, everybody can think of a good example of, of um, perfect uh, marketing. <coughs> now, one, I, I think here of a good example. Um, I live in, in Belgium near a very big brewery called, um, you may know this, InBev. Ever heard of InBev? Yeah. Hell no. <coughs> the, beer would know. Um, the beer drinkers would know InBev. <laughs> Don't they own Budweiser? Uh, I think they own that, yeah. Well, it's, it's a giant brewery and um, Belgium is littered with smaller breweries and one company didn't, did find it very funny and probably lucrative to um, drive a truck into Leuven in front of the brewery Leuven. Ah, Leuven. <coughs> and you know these trucks with billboards on the side it, it had uh, on both sides advertised 98% uh, of the citizens of Leuven prefer our brand of beer the other two percent works here. Works <laughs> here. That was parked in front, in front of, of the InBev um, main entrance. Um, it made the news. So um, that's just a, s a simple example <laughs> of low cost, low tech, um, very good advertising, <laughs> I think, which is an example of you know. Inf influencing the horizontal arbitrage of people. They will not buy. <laughs> they suggested that 98% of people would otherwise prefer another beer instead of the big beer, which is, of course, not that true, but <coughs> that is what um, advertising people do. They try to um, pull horizontal arbitrage in their favor. Now, so, you know, theorems don't have to be all dry. You know, you can put live examples to that. Professor Figaday also um, spoke about, sorry, not Professor Figaday, but um, he formulated it. It was Sandeep who presented um, the formation of the bid price. Um, once again, counterintuitively, it would be the outcome of the competition of the producers this time. Just to recap, bid price of the consumer good X marks the point where the opportunity cost of uh, selling an additional unit would be critical to the marginal producer because he would find that unacceptable and he's the first one to refuse the downtick of the price and says, I'm not having any of this. And he goes for a cup of tea. Actually, isn't he the last one to refuse the downtick? Yeah. 
F1 to refuse the downtick? The first one. There could be many more after him. And then he's not the marginal guy. If there are others that are still taking the downtick, he's not the marginal producer. No, but there could be more who just refuse. They've already refused. They stopped hiring, right? So when down was down, he was the last guy, and there's no more down ticket me. And then there could be a whole ream of people who won't do it after. Mm. He's the first one to refuse it. The others have accepted. Yeah, the others before he's accepted. Yes. I'll I'll show you. This may be familiar to most traders who have a platform. Uh, uh, it's just a visual. Uh, But once again, this may this may help in visualize who, who's first. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you think about about it. This is we're talking about the process. No, I understand. That was a uh, point. Um, of course, you can you, you can think deeper and say this is the first one or the last one. But if you go and think about it, okay, here this is now an example of, of um, a matrix from from TradeStation. Maybe you, some of you, maybe aware of this, most professional traders would have their uh, custom-made platforms anyway, but this gives you an insight of market depth of a financial product here. It is Intel. And the uh, pick is with the, um, the bid. I believe, if I'm right, Sandy, yeah. are you familiar with this kind yeah. of... Uh, yeah. The tick is with um, the bid, mm. isn't it? Mm. If um, the tick is with the offer, it, the green in the bottom would... <coughs> this would switch light and then we have here. Yeah. It doesn't really matter that much. If you're interested, you can uh, have a live demo, I suppose. Uh, but it gives you an insight what the mechanics are, what the process is. In the middle is the price, and, and we have seen this yesterday with, with Sandy. So I'm not going to make a big fuss out of this. Um, we, we need to um, just illustrate the workings of, of, of uh, the market. You can, you can think of, of this process. in, in um, several ways, but it doesn't have to be this complicated because it's applicable to any good. Not that this um, trading platform would play in your head when you go to the shop. It's much simpler than that when you, I mean, the formation of, of an iPhone, the, you know, the sticker price is the offer. When you walk in, you are prepared to buy it, they ask, or to, uh, sorry, to, uh, well, to buy it, uh, the sticker price. You may have a lower bid, but you're not prepared to haggle, therefore that's, that's, that's the price. <coughs> you, accept, you accept the bid, basically. Um, so this, this process uh, is a daily process, happens a million times. <coughs> Every, every transaction, this is what's happening. 
And as I said, a lot of people um, have made it their business um, to influence um, horizontal arbitrage and to influence uh, vertical arbitrage because um, in the formation of the bid prizes we have seen the bid prize of an iPhone for instance is the outcome of the competition of the producer. Now maybe a bad example because there's only one, one producer of an iPhone but imagine there are several generic phone manufacturers um, or, or take water cookers. I mean, who goes into the store to buy a water cooker? Probably you, maybe your wife, or your partner, whoever it is, but um, they're probably not looking for a particular brand unless it has to match the kitchen doors according to the wife's specifics. Besides that, it's a generic water cooker. <laughs> and then, of course, the whole dynamic would, would, uh, would fit. Note that there are people who make it their business to try and differentiate. It is not just a water walker, it's not just a phone, it's a Nokia, it's not, it's not just a phone, it's a whatever it is. It's not a car, it is a Lexus, you know. And it's not just a Lexus, you have several choose several models to choose from. Why, why do the marketing people do that? Because they know there's a, you know, there's a pitfall. If there's lots of competition, that's what we have to do. The, the, the spreads due to competition are reducing. And that is the answer of trying um, uh, for producers to try to um, at least protect the spread from shrinking further and perhaps some are successful, like Apple, they can widen the spread again. <coughs> this is the field of intellectual uh, capital and, well, branding. Um, but this is the, uh, a, a real-life example of how to um, protect the spread from collapsing due to many a lot of competition. Let's have a quick look at what traditional economics have to say about the subject that we have treated so far. You know, remember we have seen horizontal arbitrage, vertical arbitrage of the producer. We will now see who's the protagonist in closing the bid-ask spread. <coughs> Traditional uh, economics, what do they present us with? At least I was presented uh, in school, and I'm not going to make a big picture of this because, please, you know, we have yeah, supply and demand. I, I, I get confused with this one. What was the demand and supply again? I know this is quantity, this is uh, this is price. Uh, I think this was... Supply is the one going up. 
demand. This is the demand. This is supply. Yeah. I don't have to think with this. With this, I don't have to think. <laughs> um, can you see any dynamics in, in this process? No. In fact, the spread. This would be the spread under traditional economics, and it would be. It is suggested that um, spreads are protected by reducing volume. I think that's a leap in conclusions because it's much easier to see that the spreads are widening when volumes are either getting small or getting very large, but then Again, which is, you, you could see it here, but you know, don't, don't get. In fact, I'm going to wipe this away because I don't want this to burn your retina. And certainly, it took me many years of wiping this out of not only my retina but my brain. Um, it's it, it is a confusing. It is rather confusing. This is what traditional economics have, have to say about the rather static process of, of demand and supply it gives you a so-called um, equi um, equilibrium point. Um, in fact, this, this demand-supply uh, story would, would suggest, as I've said earlier, that um, a high demand um, Yeah. <laughs> it would suggest the wrong thing because you know a high demand would suggest a dropping price. You can see that this is contradictory. If you have a grocery store and outside a grocery store there are 75 people queuing and you have only room for three people on your groceries store, you know, it's a small grocery store. Is your price dropping? <laughs> Please. You can pick and choose. <laughs> if he doesn't like your groceries, <laughs> take the next one. No, 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 no. This is just wrong. This, the, 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 the thinking is wrong. Um, the better thinking would be um, thinking of, of uh, dynamic process of arbitrage. Now, from all what we have observed in the last few days, it is clear that A is always larger than B at all times. For the mathematicians, this is strictly higher. For the rest of us, the ask price is always higher than, than the bid price. The spread is positive. Maybe small, but it's still positive. Larger spreads, meaning there's lots of margin to be made with every sale, with every straddle 
and you repeat the process because you're the only one. Every straddle is very nicely, easily made money. It's obvious that you are, unless you've got government protection, it's obvious that you will get some competition. In comes the second guy. Now, we yesterday we, we briefly spoke about um, the cafes in London, where um, the bidders and the askers, you know, the bid and ask would meet, supply and demand would meet, and the innkeeper would be the innkeeper would be supplying drinks. But <laughs> in comes the, a very clever guy, and he says, "Well." You know, he, he would jump from left to right and whispering in the ear, I'll, 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 I'll get you. And then he jumps to the other side. I have it for you. I'll for you this. What, he, what he's doing is he's trying to, he's trying to buy it a bit and sells at the ask. And if there's a few more people doing that, obviously, um, you know, they may collude, of course, and, and, and make some, some arrangements among them, but it will only last for a while, you know. You cannot keep this competition or this collusion under wraps because one day, at one stage, it will blow anyway. So, apart from that, um, you're inviting competition and the number of people either on the floor of the exchange or the number of shopkeepers in your street will determine the spread. Now, the shopkeeper is not such a far-fetched example. The shopkeeper is, of course, not a producer and is not a consumer unless he locks the door and consumes whatever his inventory is. But under normal circumstances, the shopkeeper is the one who closes the bid ask. So are the guys on the stock exchange. In fact, it's a bit more complicated. He will probably work for a company who is, of course, bringing a lot of more money and liquidity to the table. Um, he's, he's, the person in the picture would not be the arbitrageur. He would be representing a company. Let's not make things too difficult. This may be the old days in the trading pit. Um, more people on the floor would suggest that the bid ask closing is uh, the bid ask spread um, would be narrowing. Now, what is happening on an exchange? The market makers, as they are called, or specialists have a contract with the stock exchange, they have to bring liquidity, they have to purchase at the bid and sell at the ask in any reasonable quantities. That is an arrangement with, um, with the stock exchange. Now the shopkeeper doesn't have these rules, um, he can lock the door whenever he wants, but you can go and buy <coughs> potatoes with the shopkeeper and you buy five dollars for a bag of potatoes I'm just saying 
an example. Um, turns out that these potatoes are bad. You can, or that you don't need them. You've made a mistake. Your wife sends you back. You just bought some. <coughs> Take them back. Now, you've bought at his bid. So, sorry, you bought you bought them um, from the shopkeeper. Now you're returning them. He may not feel obliged to take his potatoes back because they're your potatoes now. But he may be inclined to buy them off you again if you're lucky at the same price, but not necessarily. He may offer you a slightly lesser amount for that. That would be a perfect form of perfect form of um, buying at for him then for buying at the bid because he purchases potatoes from the farmer and he sells them to you at his ask. And when you return them, you know the roles are the role is the same, but in the inverse way, he will give you less for for, for those potatoes. Maybe if, if that is his policy. So the shopkeeper is here a perfect uh, illustration of, of, of um, an arbitrageur. No, no doubt about that. The number of grocery stores would of course also influence uh, the spreads. Because in the next maybe night shop or if it comes to night shop, there's all of a sudden there's three night shops and, and after three night shops in your shop there's another one and you will be, uh, and the marketing people will certainly notice, you'll be obliged to uh, drop your prices. <coughs> Once again, if prices are dropped at one stage, you'll feel that this is not worth your while and you close your shop. You're selling, you're having a final liquidation sale and you you move elsewhere. That would be fine. But you could also say, well, no. I'm not doing this. I'm going to purchase other goods. I'm going to add cigarettes and lottery tickets and try and protect the margins. You know, this is where it becomes critical and you do something else and you try all sorts of arbitraging besides being the margin, you know, being the marginal um, arbitrageur would be fine, you know, you could close shop obviously, but uh, that would be a very final def definitive way, you walk away, okay, it's fine. But that would stabilize also the situation. If you walk away, then nobody can force you anymore to sell at a loss. or sell at a price that you don't like. Uh, the price that you don't like is that depends on your spread. He doesn't know that. What he doesn't never he never knows what your spread is or what your profitability is. That is why as we will see later that, that well the the marginal profitability of your business as a as a Arbitrageur as a, as a role, uh, as a market maker, as um, that, that that is only something that you would like. 
when giving all these examples, we can conclude now that we have uh, empirically as well as theoretically established that there is a market process and that it's dynamic. That the spread is also stabilized by the person who walks away from it. The last, sorry, yeah, the, the first person to walk away from it would be uh, the marginal entrepreneur. And in the case of market makers, the marginal market maker, he may walk away. But that stabilizes the spread. Nobody can force you anymore. We've seen yesterday that spreads would be narrowing, but it doesn't go on indefinitely. It stops there where the marginal market maker puts a hold to it. Spreads invite competition, there's more market makers, there's more uh, arbitrageurs, and under heavy competition, still with positive spreads though, otherwise uh, it would make no sense. Under these circumstances, um, spreads may be so narrow that it looks like it's negligible, that it's, that it's basically a straight line, it's monolithic. Uh, the closest I could think of in traditional um, economics would be the, well, if you have studied uh, economics before, then the name Marshallian perfect competition would ring a bell. If it doesn't, don't worry. Marshall was uh, an economist who lived, I think, last when was it last century? Around the 1900s, 1920? I think he came up with the theory of, of uh, perfect competition. And he put a lot of um, conditions to that, and we have to, once again, Marshall devised. that there was one price, uh, monolithic price, and a perfect competition which would have to... Uh, You're not going to let that bring entire retinas, are you? I am, I'm not, uh, no. Okay. You can, um, this, this, the picture is small. Forget <laughs> about it. It's, it's not, and it's not because this, uh, this Marshall uh, person um, or his theorem of, of the perfect competition for which there are lots of um, um, prerequisites. Sorry. Oversimplifying assumptions. Oversimplifying. Well, no. Well, he had many assumptions. Namely, that there is no end. There is no entrance. Um, well, you could you could enter that market freely. You could exit that freely. Those, those. Yeah. It's it's not real life. It's not real life. Um, 
the model doesn't fit real life either. But it's the only time where I could think of a monolithic price in terms of, of perfect competition, where the spread gets narrowed to, to a single line. Rudy? Yeah, I, you could <coughs> maybe consider it as a limit, but that's an approach but never reached. Because what I see from this is those shopkeepers or market breakers, makers, the more efficient they are, the narrower spread they can still maintain profitability. And the other issue is liquidity or volume. If a tremendous volume of stuff goes through, a narrower spread will cover. And this clearly reflects in the market, those stocks that sell less have a larger spread. Yes. And goods and anything else. Yes. So this, this perfect is, is not achievable on this curve. No. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this in for the sake of comparing it a little bit to what traditional economics have to say. This is, once again, not even matching um, the theorems of Professor Fekete. Um, I mean, not by a large step. I mean, these theorems of Professor Fekete are way ahead of, of anybody. Um, It's never been um, just expressed this way. Um, not, not that these people don't know. They know that their, their theories are flawed, but they keep on telling them. <laughs> never, nevertheless. <laughs> well, they blame imperfect markets for not being good enough to live up to their theories. Yeah, well, yeah, well said. That's well said. <laughs> this, this is a perfect show of uh, the ivory tower they live in. <laughs> if you go... No. Okay. Back to reality, of course. Um, we've now seen that... Um, Spreads, as Rudy says, they never drop to zero, they get asymptotically low. But the marginal shopkeeper can always, the marginal arbitrageur, the mar whatever, he, he, can, he can walk away. Think of any market, you're not forced to. And the spreads are determined by the, the, the marginal profitability. Now, the marginal profitability is very individual. Depends on what he has paid for his capital, or what he's paying for his capital. That's an interest rate function, and the function of interest rates is an entirely different subject on which I'm willing to expand, but not here. <laughs> of course it matters. Did you think it matches in, in traditional economics? It, it, I mean, the word interest doesn't even come in there. Uh, not, not in uh, demand and supply dynamics, as they call it. Because demand and supply dynamics, in, in traditional ways, they would, they would have to draw several other lines. Um, but forget it. It is my task to point out, um, and it's, it's certainly not not difficult to see that that spreads are determined by marginal profitability and they're never zero. It cannot be. There is another important point. Um, 
market makers, the role of the market maker, the role of the shopkeeper, the role of the spe specialist, the role of the second-hand car salesman, is also a market maker. But you can think of any um, market maker in, in, in real life. That role is important and you, um, they all bring liquidity to the market. Even the second-hand car salesman needs starting capital. And he needs to purchase cars from a person or take over cars from someone. He needs some liquidity. The shopkeeper needs liquidity. The market maker and the stock exchange need lots of liquidity. That's the nature of the game, of course. Now, the role of the role of, of, of the market maker um, is is that of, of bringing um, closing the bid ask spread, and that's important. You need liquidity for that, but he's he's there. His his role cannot be overlooked. Without him, there would not be a shop. Without him, you cannot actually buy directly a car from your manufacturer. You cannot buy stocks directly from the company who issues them. Not efficiently. It's a very important role. And his role is also um, pertinent in so far that he is bringing efficiency because he obtains the lowest possible price for the consumer slash buyer that his money can possibly purchase and conversely of course the role of the market maker would also establish that the producer is obtaining the highest possible price that his efforts can bring about. Take away the role of the market maker, shopkeeper, go between, and the efficiency falls away. You will, as a producer, not obtain that much, and maybe counterintuitive thinking here again, but you know, you can, you can probably sell a few of your machines if you're producing machines but not as many as you would have got if as you would have sold if you had go-betweens there's a distributor's net or, or whatever it is you know the marketing people would know that now everybody knows this the economists know that um, there's many books written about this um, What's, what's the famous uh, Peter uh, Drucker, uh, Michael Porter, some very good examples of brilliant marketing people who have described, von Mises described the role of the, of the consumer as a sovereign. He was probably the first one and then came Porter and, and, and Drucker. They're not, in, they're not economists, but they described the role, yet economists having access to all this information and it's real life and it's for them to see and it's for them to read academically as well I still don't get it of, of course except one economist 
who's uh, amongst us here. He did see this. Now, before you tell me, there are um, some pertinent examples of where things will not work as market makers. Think of this. This is a, an auction clock. Is this, is this a market maker? Do you know how this works? Anybody idea? No idea how this works? The clock starts from the top and they roll in, for instance, um, a truckload of uh, fresh carrots. He's a producer. The producer is trying to offload, not bunch by bunch, but a truckload. And you have, um, you have people gathering the buyers and they have to press a button. Here's an interesting example of the marginal purchaser. Because the clock stops in, in, on the top. Sorry, the clock starts on the top and then goes down. The price goes down. Whoever loses his nerve first presses the button. I want them now at that price. That's where the clock stops. Isn't it? It's a Dutch auction, isn't it? it uh, it's a Dutch auction. It's, I don't know, it's probably used elsewhere also, no? Uh, it's just, it goes under the name in Australia anyway. It's a Dutch auction. It's a Dutch auction. Perfect. Um, there are some digital examples as well. Uh, this is some museum piece, as you can see. But um, what would the marginal buyer do? You know, he loses his nerves first. Bang! Presses the button. You need to be cold-blooded in when you're buying vegetables, and the same goes for cattle, because this is where they parade cattle. And um, I think this is an electronic version. It, it may work uh, the other way around, where your bid price is up. Uh, and if you've seen, um, well, well the, the example has been given about um, an auction. Um, Sandeep, what was it? The, the televised auctions on um, antiques. You often see this, a room full of people, and then in front, like in my seat, goes the auctioneer. We have 555, 560, 750, you know, one more. Do you know that he's bidding off the wall sometimes? You wouldn't know because you're looking at me. You never saw this. Of course, that's a dangerous game and it's not even illegal. But you are bidding. You're all bidding. And the last one gets, gets it, of course, with... You need to you need to remember that you have to pay VAT and some transfer taxes maybe. <laughs> so the bid price is not not the final price. So this antique you had on, on the previous slide that's that's a type of option where the price is bid down. Yes, Dutch auction, as uh, Philip says. Do they still exist anywhere? Today? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Your special <laughs> option. What's that? Yes. The US Treasury auction of gold? It was Dutch auction. Well, I am the not the latest one, but I'm talking about the earlier ones. In Australia, I, where I came across the, uh, the term was uh, somebody auctioned a very famous house using a Dutch auction, not one of those machines but utilizing the principle of starting from the absolute maximum, and they probably raised it about that, 
and then gradually came down until somebody, the person most keen got it, first to press the button. So, so I assume that works when there's basically one lot. And if you had 100 truckloads of carrots, and you were doing the first truck that way, nobody would have any particular incentive to bid very high on them because there's 99 more truckloads. You've got to do one thing, and everybody's got to be afraid that if they don't, if they don't press the button early, they're going to go home empty, right? Yeah. That's that's the intelligence you have to. I mean, for these um, auctions, you have to get up at three o'clock in the morning, the night, have a good look at how many trucks have been rolled in into the auction and hopefully you, you may inspect the goods obviously you can you can walk over yeah you, you would have that in I mean you can also sit and have a coffee or a beer that early in the morning in, in the cafeteria but uh, and, and forget for who, what's rolling in but uh, yes the, the way I understand this it's not the guy pushing the button that stops the auction so when the clock runs out there are no more bids allowed so if you don't make there's another time limit auction there's, there's another form. That would be eBay. I'm sorry? That would be eBay. Yeah, and they call it Dutch auction. This, this, this. That's not what it does. That's so not what happens? Literally, yeah. the, it, as the price comes down, yes. the first person to accept that price is got it. And that's it. Yeah, well, that's the maximum price. Yes. It's worth the bidding. Rudy, Rudy, have you ever? You've never been there. That's obvious no, because that clock, done. that clock goes not like tick, 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 tick. That clock goes <laughs> fast. They don't have time. They don't have time. They have to auction, as Keith says, another 12 truckloads. The so, buyer, that, so the first one, okay, the first one to blink is what you really said. First one Yes. You need to go to the auction with already a set in your mind what is the price you want to pay. Yes. Yeah. And hope that nobody pushes the button before you. Yeah. That too. <laughs> if not, because now there's, I mean, this is real life. Let's talk about this. Is the, if you're the only one in the room there, <laughs> which will not happen that fast, you can press the button at leisure, <laughs> uh, even at zero. <laughs> um, but I mean, so there, there may be 20 others. Yeah, that's it. There is a reserve price. If the clock goes below the reserve price, it's withheld. It still exists in Spain, Barcelona. There's a fish market. I saw it. And they auction the fish with a reverse auction. See, this is real life examples of of market makers. You need markets, not only financial markets, but closing that bid ask spread is this is the process. And whether you visualize it in the form of a clock coming down, or you visualize it in an electronic platform, it's, it's the same. The process that Professor Fickett has described in, in, in a theorem would apply there. It would apply in a fish market in Barcelona. It would apply in a Dutch auction. It would apply also there. In the shopkeeper, and he's a market maker too. I've explained it. He's not a producer. He's not a consumer, um, but he is a go-between. And this is um, where the first part. Um, and I'll take another five minutes or ten minutes, maybe, to uh, 
have another look at the uh, inverse side. This completes, of course, the marginal an analysis of, of the price formation of consumer goods, but any good could, could do so. And it is, of course, uh, analogical to the price formation, formation of, of, of uh, producer goods. Let's have a look at uh, producer goods. Yes? Just coming back to that uh, reverse auction, there is no asset price there. Um, there is the reserve price. So the reserve price. Yeah. Below which I mean so that's 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 the marginal like that's the reserve price. Think of that as you know, that's the price I walk away. Okay. If that is not kept, I'll walk away. Right. Simple. In in looking at, at the formation of the bid price, uh, we looked at uh, Sandeep has looked also at the, uh, at it yesterday. The bid price is the, is, is the field of the producer. Sorry, yeah. I keep coming back to this option. Yeah. But is, is, the, is the reserve price known to the market? No. No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. If that is known, that is cheating because. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> if, I know him, well, if I know him well, then I know because okay. I come to this market for the past 55 years and I know him. Then I know probably his reserve price, but he may cheat. I'll cheat me also. <laughs> if he knows me as well, and he knows a lot of buyers, so um, no, forget. It's it's in his head, and that may change because I mean crop prices uh, differ. I mean his costs are playing a role, not that his costs are what determine the price, but it's the price he walks away, the one, maybe not the next one. Huh? So, well, we're on the topic here, um, the, the, the marginal producer may decide to compete, or um, if not, or if he does so, he will, he will have to differentiate heavily if his margins are under uh, pressure, uh, and if he wants to maintain a high spread, um, and he may and he may not be successful. Um, iPhone and and Apple is is one successful um, company in in differentiating and in uh, adding some brand value. Now, brand value maybe well, it's, it's intangible, but that's what they do. For every Apple uh, story, there are 99 unsuccessful branding stories, um, as the marketing people would surely know. So, um, if, if it's simply not possible to um, differentiate, then price for his good will, um, will drop to the same level as that of the competition. Um, there are, of course, other ways to restore profitability. That is, at one higher level. He goes, this is the vertical arbitrage. He goes one higher level at the input price. He can differentiate. Okay, 
take the example of carrots. I have bought carrot seed from Monsanto and I'm fed up, I'm shopping for another company. If that is at all possible, I'm just giving <laughs> an example. <laughs> Wrong example, maybe. Um, but um, if you look for, for uh, well, let's take let's take uh, generic phones. Um, I, I, I am a Thailand shop workshop. I produce um, cellular phones, and um, I can produce. I can I can buy chips from Intel or from. Uh, um, uh, competitor from Intel, what's it called, AMD. AMD, if they are in that market, for instance. And if, and, and well, let's just hope that the quality and uh, may be better than, uh, so you can improve on, on, your, on your spread again. But that is, would be one level higher, and then there's, this is called the one, you remember, the one-legged straddle, you just go one level higher. So at any stage, um, he also may decide to drop out of the race, um, which is, you know, he just plays a role. He may liquidate the stock quickly and then say, well, fine, let's get rid of the last few 300 cellular phones. We build a new one quickly with cheaper batteries, cheaper, cheaper antennas, <laughs> whatever it is, you know. In either case. The bid, the bid price will be lowered because he's dropping out or he's shopping around. The bid price will be lowered and that will enlarge the spread. But that is very temporary in the case of the bid because of the established supply. Remember that these are the producers, they have their capital commitments, they have the factories. And dropping prices is only temporary. Because, of course, it will be quickly um, arbitraged down the spread. Competition, if, if, if competition is keen, of course. And if competition is not keen, then, then the marginal producer may succeed in his efforts. I mean, um, iPhone from Apple is, there's only one manufacturer. And he is probably very successful in um, holding the bid price. If the iPhone costs, and I know it didn't cost in Belgium 750 euros, including VAT, don't even think of haggling. Because there's another customer waiting in line and they will quickly shove you aside. Next, he will buy at that price. Because there's only one supplier. There are, of course, many suppliers of iPhone, uh, I may have a chance. But the um, last thing I have to say that um, consumer competition on the ask side and um, competition on the bid side of the producer are not symmetrical for the reasons I have explained. There may be a long queue for the iShop now, and that may be very temporarily, but there is a massive production capacity which is not shrinking just like that. The case of uh, the producer, 
and the consumer is certainly not uh, symmetrical. And now, the rise um, in an ask price, and the point I'm trying to make is that the consumer is a sovereign here. Um, the rise in the ask price because of this lots of customers in front of your store, there's lots of buyers on the stock exchange, prices are rising. It has the consequence that, that there is a temporary wider spread and it will attract of course more competition, uh, more market makers coming in, uh, more shopkeepers filling the streets. That rise in the consumer demand will be temporarily increasing the spread just long enough for producers to close the gap and they adjust their um, um, production to the increased demand. But production is established now. So a decrease in the price due to increased production or improved technology because they've bought a machine that can produce so much more in one, <coughs> one unit of time. They tend to be there for the long run. I mean, that machine doesn't get switched off that, that fast. And the situations are therefore not symmetrical. And, and what this effect is called, this is called the feedback uh, effect. Uh, increased competition on the part of the consumers obviously brings about uh, increased competition of producers. That feedback effect does not work in the other direction. And that's the last point I have to make. It's not because there is more competition and more production that the consumer will say, wow, there's not a factory, let's buy. It doesn't work that way. The consumer is king. As the professor pointed out, it is a producer who has to earn the loyalty of the customer. And as I've said before, gurus like, like uh, Michael Porter and Peter Drucker, they have found it out a long time ago, uh, just after Mises had concluded so. Um, and a final, final, final word before, I don't want to go in overtime. Um, apparently over at the Von Mises Institute in Alabama, isn't it? Um, I've read a, an article the day before yesterday um, on the consumer sovereignty. It was an article written by, let's have a look, Robert P. Murphy. Now, I read the article twice, fast, I have to admit, because I had to prepare this. I didn't get it. None of it. Of, of what was said here in the few days uh, before, none of it was was reflected in that article. Um, so I don't understand because it comes from from the even Mises Institute, and and in fact it was in that article very much doubted that the uh, consumer was a sovereign. So go read it for yourself. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think. Uh, it's obvious there, unless the article has no pertinence to the sovereignty of the consumer. But then they should change the, the 
title, I suppose. If you can improve on the theorems that Professor Fekete has made, you are cordially invited to do so. Uh, not well, you have to think up an example where uh, this thing, the theorem of the professor will not work because that would blow him out of the water. Uh, don't think of it here. You can do that in an academic paper at your leisure. I don't think you will easily succeed. And that, I think, concludes the closing of the Bidask spread lecture for today. We'll have a break now, I suppose. Uh, no, coffee no? break. A coffee, a coffee break, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is that a sound check? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what is, what, uh, I couldn't make out what this was. Um, <laughs> a camera? It is a camera where there is a bird in front of the lens. Oh, okay. And you are overlooking the obvious. <laughs> I've chosen this um, picture to illustrate a point that uh, Keith during the break has uh, expanded on, namely uh, if I look at my notes here that traditional economics is, is wrong beyond repair because, this, well, let's say the supply demand, the supply demand curve and I don't you know, it comes with a fair warning. I do not want to burn this image on your retina. We <laughs> uh, supplied, and uh, what was it again? This is demand, and that's supply. It would, first of all, it's, it's obvious. It's obviously wrong because the supply and demand is not linear. You can go to a shop and get a packet of cigarettes, if that is the unit in that particular forum, which is the shop, that is fine. But I used to live for a long time in South Africa and there the uh, local people would come in with a few cents in their pocket and they would ask for one cigarette. I can explain this here. But with the demand and supply for one cigarette, it would, it would mean that, that, well, you know, price drops. Yeah, sure. But is the spread doing anything? Is, is the shopkeeper making any money of it? probably is, because this is reality, but this model does not suggest or doesn't give any information on the spread either. Um, inversely, if, I mean, Keith uh, was saying... Um, well, it's not, the, it's not a higher price that attracts more supply, it's a higher spread. 
if, if the price of a metro, of which there are a handful of suppliers, you know, we have, we have mentioned Bombardier, uh, Siemens, GE, uh, and there's probably a few others. Right. Uh, but there's not 356 suppliers of, of, of metros. And, and, and a metro would cost a metro project, which is highly individualized, but let's say it would cost you a billion dollars to supply a metro to a city like Munich, probably have one. But what does the price tell me? Wow, a million dollars, let's get into that. There's money to be made. Uh, excuse me, is there? <laughs> I may tear my pants, as they say. <laughs> it's the spread that holds the information. It's the spread, and actually, it's the spread of the new entrant that determines whether he wants to get in. His spread will, of course, be much smaller and probably negative compared to the existing players who probably have a large positive spread. Yeah. Again, traditional economics, and I was one of those victims. I had to study what was the game, Keith? Elasticity. Oh, yes. In itself, not difficult, but it's an exercise in nonsense. What does the elasticity tell you? Okay, it tells you that the price is not, or cross elasticity, another product, a subset. I, I can remember all that nonsense, but it tells me nothing about the spread. It's all about price. In, in traditional economics, I had to do exercises on on, on uh, the elasticity of rubbish collectors, because you know, if the price of a rubbish collector goes higher, will the price increase? Will the price? Is it, or if, if the rubbish collection was not very elastic to price, it would mean that you know people would pay no matter what. I think that was a concept. Yeah. Yeah? Whereas, if, if, uh, well, if it comes to cigarettes, you know, cigarettes are not very price elastic. No matter what the price of a packet is, they'll buy it anyway. Um, but the opposite with garbage collection. People are not very much prepared to pay for garbage collection if the price would increase. They would probably burn it in their backyard. Mm -hmm. But what does it from the car, the car store? Yeah. <laughs> or dump it with the neighbor. <laughs> um, the, what is price and elasticity exists? They're pointless. They're pointless. Well, they, they contain very little information. They, they just, they just uh, had a sense that there was something which was not correct here, so that's why they very convenient. this this notion. Uh, they're, they're forgetting the obvious. That was the whole point of the exercise. They're forgetting the obvious, and they make they make 18, 19 year old students who deserve a good education do pointless exercises in in what they would have could have done in, in math classes. You know, elasticity calculated. You get now, you know, now you get very smart. You become rich later. You don't become smart because it doesn't carry any information. The elasticity carries some bit more. Interesting. Information on this, but you're overlooking the obvious, namely it's the spread that counts. What what else was wrong with this? Um, well, I've already mentioned that uh, 
would, if, if, if the amount is high for your iPhone, would the price drop? This would suggest that the price would drop. Of course not. Well, it's not that you just missed an interesting little side discussion on the elasticity of price. Based on this quantity elasticity or quality elasticity of price, and there are different elasticities. I was um, referring to this um, the meaning of the uh, picture of the camera with the bird sitting right in front of it mm. where you are overlooking the obvious and I've chosen this picture to illustrate that supply demand uh, curves do not carry any information whatsoever and elasticity exercises are pretty pointless as well because they don't carry much information either. Um, I think from my basic recollection of just the supply demand curve, which I can't remember that much of. Good. <laughs> but uh, when the, uh, the demand curve shifts... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah shifts, yeah. So uh, the price goes up. Yeah, price. So it will. Uh, I remember that. It will say it will do something like. Uh, it will do that. So your 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 equilibrium promise will do. Will do that. That's all I can remember from it, and I thought that was pretty simplistic when I remembered it. Uh, when I did it. Um, <coughs> But that, again, that's pretty useful. <laughs> <laughs> it's economics 101. In difference. Uh, I don't know. I honestly can't remember. <laughs> I just remember the mechanism. In difference curves, yes. yes. In difference curves. So, so the I, same price. I have the, tried to forget that. Yeah. Yeah, please. Yeah. For the same price, the quantity demanded goes up. So the curve shifts. And so the price goes up, you know, I mean, it's... This is no examination. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's rubbish. It is. So, if, if you haven't studied this, I don't think you missed... <laughs> and don't have any unlearning to do. Yes. <laughs> but unfortunately, that I did, so <laughs> I have to be reprogrammed still a little bit, I guess. Okay, would you like to draw a elasticity curve, um, a... a um, what curve? Indifference. Indifference curves, do you remember? Something like this. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think these guys are better. He's studying this right now. You're younger than me. You may remember. It would come out with a differentiated price. So it was like yeah. this? The price of the best. What would you consider now? Don't ask me. I don't know what it's. I mean, honestly, not knowing what I was referring to. Basically, a snapshot of one market for differentiated price. You've got two goods. No, I just wanted to know your criticism on this shift. What you just drawing on? No, it's the shift. So, okay. Why doesn't. Why? You have to figure out what your maximum profit is. It doesn't carry any information. Is, is this a shift in ask or a shift from the, from the consumers? That we can explain. And it's temporary. It's a shift from the producers. We can also explain. And 
it doesn't take much reasoning to know that once you have a higher spread, it will attract competition. The, the information in the spread will, will say, well, let's, let's get into this market because we earn more money, which attracts competition. But once production facilities have been made, this, this, this well, it doesn't move very much. I mean, according to this concept, you wouldn't have actually a trade here, because no. it would never match. That's also one thing. What I should this is this is the haggling process. At this point, it makes sense to haggle. There, it would make sense to haggle. At this point, it's the commercial range. Well, I understand. Here, except. But, it's, but it never matches according to this. I mean, well, it does when people shake hands. Okay. Yeah. But when people shake hands is what the, the part that Peter's going on that supply demand. They assume that they always shake hands. Yes. There's a price at which they always shake hands, which is. This is here. Which is, yeah, on that thing, which is silly. I mean, that's not the case. You know. I, I remember now that you speak about shaking hands. In. A few, few months ago in um, the country where I live, which is Belgium, the last market, last cattle market, which was a simplistic cattle market where farmers came along and they would sell their livestock, they would do that on a handshake. Or even, to be more correct, they would go like 100, 200. 150, 175, until they meet, or they meet not. But this is, once again, the big ask, you know, the matrix. That market was closed, unfortunately, but that doesn't detract from the process that was described, of course. There are many reasons why the farmers uh, have moved on. <laughs> Probably about speculation. <laughs> would you say? Would you say that uh, the, 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 this approach of uh, supply-demand charts and classical <coughs> economics is basically disregards the role of the individual, the individual players? It's more focused yes. on the end result. It's it's static. The macro yeah. side, as opposed to really the interaction with humans. <coughs> yes. It is it is so static, it doesn't describe a process. It cannot describe a process because it's, it seeks for equilibrium. It seems to suggest that there is this thing called the economy and we are in it and we are um, we're not participants in it. We're, we're, <laughs> we're victims of it. Yeah, this is supposed to the way you have to, to conform to the graph. I will talk about it a lot more this afternoon. Okay. It, it, it <laughs> yes. really ignores a lot of things. Yes, yes. <laughs> Almost everything. You see, this is abstraction done too far. Whereas abstraction normally is a good thing because it ignores the unimportant. Yes. It ignores the negligible and so on. But if you overdo it, then it throws out the baby with the bathwater. And that's exactly what happened. It's abstracting too far away from reality where 
these things become lifeless, like Christ, quantity, uh, random interrelationship, and just uh, ignoring all variables with the exception of quantity and price. And, and, uh, and that has to be rectified, and this is the merit of Carol Menger. But I'll, I'll speak, speak at length on this this afternoon. Yes, it's a bit unfortunate I've brought this down on myself. You know, I've brought up traditional economics. So unfortunately I have to suffer. But obviously it was meant as an introduction or as an overflow into the next lecture, which was, uh, which is still is, the, uh, uh, the theory on uh, or why, the why, why the traditional economics is wrong, the critique of it, yes. which will be given by the professor, as he said. But uh, Louis' point is, is very important for the following mm -hmm. reason. Because that is the clash between macro and microeconomics. Uh, and the, the choice of the word macro-micro is very, very badly displaced here. Because what macroeconomics ignores is the, as Louis already put his finger on it, is the human individual. And that means, among other things, that the method of differential equations is completely inapplicable to the problem. And I speak on this issue with some authority, because as you know, I'm a professional mathematician, and I've spent my working life as a professor of mathematics. So, uh, I, th this question always fascinated me. Uh, here is a wonderful method, the method of differential equations. By the way, it has a version which, uh, and this is not often realized, that uh, there is, we talked about this yesterday, the horse market and the horse meat market is the big difference between the two. And in Austria, this uh, has to do with the growth of Austrian economics. That, uh, the horse market was the example par excellence where you study the thing. But the trouble is that you can't cut up a horse to smaller units. And that, <laughs> the argument, of course you can. You just slaughter the horse. <laughs> Dish out the horse meat, and there is demand for that too. But you see, this is just uh, playing with words because the horse meat market is very, very different. But the, what I want to point out to you is that the horse market, again, differential equations are useless because you cannot make the unit smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's just the uh, point in, in differential calculus. It's also called in that's really interesting. infinitesimal, infinitesimal calculus. Uh, all right. So the problem is that the problem is not of free will. 
differential equations are applicable if the objects of study have no free will, just like atoms, molecules, or even uh, smaller particles. I'm not going to name them because they're too many by now. So uh, there are forces in the universe and they are acting on these individual units, atoms, molecules, what's saying this. Luckily, the atoms and molecules have no free will. So they are slaves of the forces which act on them. But if you imagine for the moment that the molecule can talk back and say, no, I'm not going to obey you. I'm not in the mood, or I, I, can, I can see a better way of doing it. The, the, whole, the whole physics will just collapse, you see? Now, what macroeconomics is trying to do is, it tries to assume that the elementary particles of economics, which are really human individuals, you cannot count them up. You know, they are not even <laughs> they are worse to be But you can't count them how to be behaved. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. We know what happens when anyhow, the uh, uh, human beings do have free will. Now, it doesn't mean they can change the laws of nature, but within a, a small, but definitely defined circle, they are free to act and they have choices. So, as a result, the method of differential equations is not applicable. Whether you like it or not, it's simply no good because human beings can talk back. Not all of them. I know them. <laughs> large mass of humanity is just like sheep. The new word is sheeples? Sheeples. Herd like. They, they go with the crowd. They follow the trend. They are not leaders, they are followers. And therefore, uh, for great lengths of time, it looks that really human beings have no free will because they just obey the forces or government order or propaganda or party uh, politics, whatever. And, and it's easy to influence the, the vote buying comes in and all these things which work against free will. But at the bottom, you cannot deny the fact of the existence of freedom. So the method of differential equations is completely misplaced when it comes to economics. And, and, and this is completely ignored today. I mean, uh, I would say 95% of the output of the economist is based on uh, Macroeconomics, you actively using differential equations. Yeah, but what I was going to say about the difference between the work of a variation of differential equations is called difference equations. So when you take 
a market situation like the horse market where you cannot subdivide the unit and you just have to stop the, with the last unit which is one single horse then the, different, the method can still be used but it's no longer the method of differential equations but it's the method of difference equations where uh, uh, you work with sequences instead of continuous functions and there is something corresponding to the uh, derivative and something corresponding to the primitive function and so on. So uh, I just wanted to make you uh, aware of the fact that the method of differential equations is actually wider. Uh, it appears first blush because of the there is a complementary but very close other theory which is the method of difference equations. Well, I think uh, it's. Uh, Let's see if there are more. Yeah. Will you be Will you be talking about difference? No, no, no. That's beyond. Yeah. But because I, I, the same remark applies, that basically in economics the method is not applicable. That refers both to differential equations and difference equations. So this is just a side remark, but. Um, it's very interesting and, uh, and we uh, suffer for it. This is a basic mistake which philosophers would have pointed out mm -hmm. hundred years ago. That, that, uh, the, the, the method of differential equations is not applicable in economics, not applicable in psychology, not applicable in sociology and a lot of other sciences and in spite of that they are still using them so no wonder they come up with uh, bad uh, theorems, bad uh, clues, bad explanations and uh, now we have to pay the price because it's not immediate but in the long run this comes out and then uh, <coughs> a great crisis takes place. All right, uh, we then adjourn. Thank you, Peter, and uh, thank you for the uh, slideshow, which is always fascinating. <coughs> Ever since I was a school child, we were waiting for the teacher to bring in the projector. <laughs> it was a nice change of pace. Yes. I, I won't be using it. I'm too old to learn. Uh, the tricks of PowerPoint, <laughs> perhaps I could, but uh, you know, that's a special skill. Anyhow, let's uh, have a great night. We come back at 2.30. Please remember the uh, excursion. Do you want to add something?